A familiar story is uh, what we heard today in the gospel reading, the story of the widow's might. Here was a delightful woman in my previous parish who, whose husband really enjoyed the topic of biblical archaeology. And one year, uh, as a gift, he gave her a pendant, which was a tiny coin, which is said to have been the exact type of coin that this widow would have used, and it was made into to a necklace, and she was very proud to show it off. And it was tiny, it was tiny. It was about this, less than the size of a dime, actually. And it really conveyed the minuscule nature of the earthly amount of this woman's wealth. Now, widows feature fairly prominently throughout Scripture, um, oftentimes not named, it is more their station in life that is of interest than their personal identities. In fact, when we pray the litany of saints, widows get their own segment in that sort of hierarchy of the saints and the angels and the apostles and the Holy Trinity. They're right in there and mentioned quite prominently. We heard the story from First Kings about the widow and Elijah, how she was going about her day trying to subsist, trying to survive for herself and for her son, when suddenly God breaks into her life through the person of the prophet Elijah. Now, widows were especially vulnerable people because, of course, with their husbands being dead, they were left without any source of income. What this particular widow in First Kings was, knew what to do was essentially what she had done her whole life. She took care of her home and her child, and I guess she would have taken care of her husband as well when he was still alive. But, and while those things are immensely valuable in their own way, they don't have sort of a monetary value that the world appreciates. And so this particular widow and widows like her were living hand to mouth. Life was not easy for them. As Elijah encountered her, she was gathering some sticks. This woman couldn't even afford or uh, collect proper fuel for her fire, she had to go and collect the sticks that fell on the ground. And if you've ever had any experience with building a fire, you know, sticks are good for getting the fire started, but they don't make a nice, long-lasting hot fire, especially for baking, which is what she was trying to do, to bake just a little bit of a cake from what she had left to give to her son so that they may eat it, and as she said, die. Because she had no prospect, no vision of hope for the future. But Elijah brings God's power and God's word to her, and he tells her, go and make me a cake. And as the Lord lives, your jar of meal and your jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord brings rain upon the earth. She does as he says, and scripture tells us they ate for many days. Now, what did not happen was that uh, 
all of a sudden her pantry was overflowing with jugs and jugs of oil and many jars of meal and all kinds of other staples that I'm sure she would have enjoyed. What happened was that God provided just enough for her and for her son and for Elijah because of her faithfulness. Of course, this mirrors back to the time of the ancient Israelites uh, wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land when they were hungry and God sent them manna from heaven. He said, I have given you food enough. And he instructed them not to store it up for themselves. But of course, being humans, they did. I would have done the same thing. You probably would too. I'm sure that if we went to any of our homes today and went into the kitchen, we'd see uh, things stocked in the cupboards, a refrigerator full of food. And things were no different for them. And so they hid a few things away. And what happened? The food immediately rotted away. God provided just enough. And so the widow in the story from 1 Kings was rewarded because of her faith. She didn't question Elijah. She didn't ask for more. She was grateful for the gift of sustenance that God gave her. And again, we see this widow in the story from Mark. Picture the temple precincts bustling with people and the treasury where people go to deposit their their gifts to the temple. And the scribes come by in a large retinue with long flowing robes and people uh, showing them uh, honor and courtesy, perhaps bowing to them as they very uh, openly and with a flourish put in a great amount of money to the treasury. Perhaps the people uh, oohed and awed as they heard the money drop into the coffers of the temple. And as all that excitement fades away, in my imagination, I picture a small, old, sort of bent-over woman who shuffles her way quietly, alone, to this holy place where all people come, and into which she deposits all that she has, these two little coins. No one cares. No one sees her. No one gives her a round of applause or puts her name on a plaque. The one who sees it and appreciates it for what it is, is Jesus. And Jesus points this out to his disciples, and he says, look, these others have given out of their great wealth, and really, while I'm sure their gifts were greatly appreciated by the temple, perhaps they were going about it the wrong way. Look instead at this humble widow, this woman who has really no prospects for her own for aggrandizing herself, for uh, increasing her wealth. But she gives out of her poverty everything that she had to live on. Now, these gifts of the two widows, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, point us, as all of these stories do, to the cross of Christ. This is why we tell these stories. I've said it once, I've said it again, you're going to hear me a lot more times say that miracle stories are two-sided. They have a wonderful, happy ending for the person for whom the miracle happened, but there's a reason why we keep telling the story. And it is because through this miracle, we are 
our eyes are opened a little bit to the glory of God and to his power. And so these sacrificial gifts of these widows who have nothing to give but themselves points us to the cross of Christ, where Jesus Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice of himself, which was all that he had. You see, he never settled down and he never amassed a fortune. He never uh, did a lot of things except walk around from town to town with his disciples, preaching and teaching, healing people, casting out demons. All he had to give was himself. And we heard in the epistle that that was all he ever had to give because unlike the high priests who have to go in year after year and offer sacrifices of blood that is not their own, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and offered himself once and for all. As we say in the prayer book, his one oblation of himself once offered. And that is why we come back here year after year, day after day, and why we are about to perform uh, another baptism. We've had so many baptisms this fall, which is wonderful. This is the sixth baptism in two months, and I'm very happy about that. And what we do in this baptism is we create a new Christian. We take a new life and graft it on to that tree, that cross of Christ, which is our family tree. Because in giving himself, Jesus Christ opened the gate of heaven to all. He made us his brothers and sisters and thereby children of the Most High God. And so it is with the greatest joy that we come to the baptismal font, making new disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as part of the ceremony, because Lana cannot answer for herself, her parents and godparents come up and for now answer for her. And we as a congregation also pledge to do our part. And what we pledge to do is to help this young life grow into the full stature of Christ, to be Christ-like examples to her, and to show that this life of, of service and sacrifice is truly what pleases God. And especially at this time of year, when we begin our stewardship campaign, what a wonderful way to start with a baptism, with remembering the end of a, of, a devastating, uh, of a devastating war that took so many lives, the end of death, the beginning of life, and to think about all the widow's mites that have been dropped in the coffers of this place over, the, over 130 years. All the gifts people have given, not because they want to be patted on the back or lifted up in front of the eyes of other people, but because they know that this is the house of God, this is none other than the gate of heaven. And not only do we come to the altar every Sunday and Wednesdays and holy days to receive the sacraments of the church, to be sacramentally present with our Lord and to go out into the world nourished and sustained, but we exist all week long, 365 days a year. And the things that happen here have consequences, good consequences. 
And just as uh, the ripples of water go out when you throw a pebble into a pond, the same thing happens when you give of your heart and of your time and of your talent and treasure to this church. You throw that in to our pond and those ripples go out and they first touch our immediate community where we do a great deal of good, where there is a great deal of need and it continues to grow. I know this from my association with the Slotesburg Food Pantry. And then it goes out a little bit further. We contribute to the life of our diocese and that diocese does work in our region. And it goes out a little further to the national church and, and our work across this country. And in other ways, we reach the shores of distant places on far so- the far side of our planet. People you never know, you probably will never meet, have their lives gladdened and their prospects for health and well-being improved because of the things that you do. And in that, God is glorified. So you see, we don't track, track people down and say, aren't you glad that I gave money so that you could have clothing or that you could uh, get an education? No, we don't do that. But we rejoice in our hearts in knowing that our work is doing good, that our work is alleviating suffering. We know, as Jesus said, that the poor will always be with us. And we know that there's no way that in our finite time and with our finite resources that we could ever possibly alleviate all of the need in the world. But we march forward in faith with our eyes fixed upon the cross of Christ and upon that great uh, ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gave of himself as our example of our way of life. And so remember all those humble, holy widows that you hear about in the scriptures and how they gave out of their poverty and how their gift that would seem small in the eyes of the world was great in the eyes of God. Remember the sacrifice of service of the disciples and of the saints as they went out into the world to be the lights uh, of God in their various generations. And consider how we, living in this time and in this place, and in our context, our local context, have our mission to fulfill. And so consider that when you consider what your widow's might will be as you contribute to the life and the witness of this church. And finally, let us give thanks again for this beautiful um, this beautiful remembrance of the power of resurrection, this baptism that we are about to perform together. And remember that it is not just for the one who is baptized right now, but for all of us to remember that we all were baptized at one point or another in our lives and brought into our family together. And so as a family, we, we move forward in faith, eyes fixed on the cross, the resurrection of Christ as our powerful tool. And we go forth in his name, making disciples, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, 
and imprisoned, upholding the oppressed, all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.